Welcome to the Resilient Teacher Project. If this is your first time listening, I'm Julie Sohacki, a clinical professor and program director for English secondary education at University of Hartford. I'm a mom to two teenage boys and a college professor who creates resilience courses to help my students stay adaptable, optimistic, and grateful during these ever-changing times. I'm on a quest, maybe like you, to simplify my life in all ways. Today we're focused on intentional and inspirational practices that administrators can initiate in their schools right now. My website, Teacher TLC, even has a tab to the left under Resilience Resources called Welcome Administrators, so check that out. Today's guest and I dive into a resilience framework along with her intentional practices in more detail and with a slideshow. Today we have an inspirational principal from Watertown High School in Watertown, Connecticut, Dr. Janet Parlato. This is Dr. Parlato's eighth year in Watertown. Before that, she served for 20 years in Berlin Public Schools. She was an English teacher, an English department chair, instructional coach, and assistant principal. Janet is the current Watertown High School principal, but she's also been the director of curriculum. Dr. Parlato has uh, been in education for 28 years. She has her bachelor's and master's from the University of Connecticut in English education and curriculum and instruction. She has her doctoral degree from University of Pennsylvania in organizational and educational leadership. I am so happy to welcome Dr. Janet Parlato to the podcast. Welcome, Janet. I am so excited that you're here today uh, talking with us about some intentional practices that are so important right now for educators. You were really able to inspire teacher resilience and confidence during the lowest teaching moments, really in our collective lifetimes. It was a huge challenge that we all experienced at the same time in the spring of 2020. Uh, You help teachers believe in themselves at their lowest moments. And um, I'm just so interested and excited for you to share some tangible and intentional ways that you made this happen. I'd like to focus on some of the intentional practices that created the conditions for the teachers in your building to really focus on the positive. So welcome and thanks for joining us today. First of all, thank you for having me. And this is my very first podcast. So Let's see how we do here. It's going to be great. Yes, thank (laughs) you. It's a lot of fun. It it will be a lot of fun. Um, I'd like to start with something that any school administrator who's listening to this can adopt right now. Um, You have something that you call the daily update. It's been a thoughtful and important email that your teachers look forward to. You're still doing it after all these months. Can you explain how you got that idea and how it was initially received? So I'll start with the inspiration for the daily update, and then I'll talk a little bit more about the logistics surrounding it. So on Twitter, I follow a poet named Maggie Smith. And for the space of a year or so, she was tweeting out little motivational statements that she made up. 
Um, and she was initially writing them for herself and then realized that they had such value to the wider population that she began to tweet them out. And so people began to look for these tweets every single day for a, a bit of inspiration or a little bit of insight from her. Um, so that was the first place where I got this idea that how do we create some language that people get used to every day. Uh, the second bit of inspiration was also on Twitter. Um, the composer and author Lin-Manuel Miranda was also sending out things in the morning and in the evening. So he was doing this G morning, good morning, mm -hmm. and a little inspirational statement in the morning and then something in the evening at night, which was supposed to wrap up the whole day. So after seeing those for, you know, and that was certainly six or seven months before March of 2020 when we shut down our schools, um, I realized that because we left school so suddenly, what would serve as an anchor for teachers to at least feel that they were somehow connected to the school and to our work? And so what I did with that was created a daily update and the daily update Although the content was different every day, the format was always the same. So that teachers knew that it wasn't going to be too long. It wasn't anything like two pages long. Um, and so generally speaking, it would have some sort of update about if we were gonna go back to school or where we were standing with the lockdown. Um, it would have information about professional learning if we were doing that. Sometimes there was an optional article for them to read. And it wasn't always directly about instructional practice. Sometimes it was an article about here are some experiences of other teachers out in the world who are trying to teach remotely and they never have before. Please read this and see if it aligns with your own experience. So they came, they got used to the fact that every single day there would be a form of communication from me that always took a positive turn. So even if the information I had to share was, okay, we're gonna be out for another three weeks, at some point in the, in the daily update, there would be a form of motivation in terms of me commenting on their effort, me commenting on the fact that we've come so far. We were a school that didn't use a lot of technology uh, to start with. We were not one-to-one -one with Chromebooks at that time. And so teachers had to learn Google Classroom quickly. They had to learn how to even use the most basic things that we think now are basic. They had to learn them in the span of two weeks uh, to be able to have some lessons for students. So acknowledging their practices, acknowledging how much effort they were putting in and essentially flying blind because none of us had ever done this before. So the whole point of the daily update to summarize was to, in a way I always envisioned it as a lighthouse it was kind of a beacon for our teachers to still feel a sense of connection and belonging to our school, even though we, didn't, we weren't able to see each other in person. And they were very well received. So uh, people started to email back over time and say, you know, I always look forward to the daily update. Um, and I always used to send it out around 1130 in the morning. And if I was a little late sometimes, you know, sometimes people would email and say, you know, what happened to the update? Um, wow. Because, yeah, they really look forward to having um, that kind of stable presence in a world that was so upside down. Yeah, absolutely. So teachers definitely needed this. I love the consistency and the inspiration. Um, one of the key, I think, components to all of this is that you really used intentional language. Yes. So 
things that I would, I would use specific terms such as slow and steady wins the race because everyone was feeling so stressed that they weren't getting their technology perfect right away. And so I would reinforce that idea that one little step at a time, something like moving forward together, repeating phrases like determination, gratitude, making sure that people knew that we as the administrators were, were so grateful for their work. So we developed essentially a bank of terms that we would use over time, um, all of them focusing on positive motivation for the teachers, um, making sure that, that they knew that their work was being acknowledged and just keep pushing forward because as we got into the spring, we realized that we, weren't pro we probably weren't going to come back. Um, and so that was also a hard thing for teachers to wrap their minds around because most teachers are creatures of habit. Um, and we certainly are so used to following a schedule and everything that we knew in terms of our, our stability and the way that we lived our lives was different. And so um, having some consistent language in the updates was also part of that. Yeah, it just, it sounds really amazing for them. And now I remember you had mentioned to me that you integrated art and literature into, was it into the updates or something else? So yes, actually it was into the updates. Okay. Um, there was an artist, um, he did not post every day, but he would post probably every two weeks. Um, and they were watercolors or ink and paper drawings. Um, that artist's name is Charlie McKesey. And so I would include his work at the bottom of the update. Um, of course, give him credit for that. Um, but in all the cases of his art, it's either something that has a positive spin on a, a hard situation, such as, um, you know, the storm will pass, um, or getting you to think about, you know, what are the experiences of other people? Well, actually, they're just like yours. So that sense of connection and belonging uh, runs through all of his work. So that was a, a, a big example of the art that we used. Okay, wow. All right, thank you for all of this. And I know not only you didn't, you definitely didn't stop there. You did a whole lot more with the teachers. Uh, and when we talk about self-care many times, even on this podcast, we talk about the importance of setting and maintaining healthy boundaries. And that's not something that we always did, but how did you model healthy boundaries for the teachers during this time? I'll give you probably the biggest example was, as we all know, um, email can consume our days. And so teachers were now getting used to getting a lot of emails all day as a form of communication from students because students weren't in front of them directly. So I had to teach teachers that at a certain point you have to stop. Mm -hmm. Because as we all know, we can be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and the, the sheer amount of email was a new phenomenon for the teachers in our school. Um, so as an example, I taught them specifically how to put up an away message. That was not something that was part of the practice of our school ever. And it's, it wasn't like it was frowned upon, but it wasn't something that we did consistently. Mm -hmm. um, so over the April vacation, I literally sent out directions. This is how you put up an away message. These are examples of what your away message can say. And don't feel guilty about that um, because it is your time away. So it gave them a little bit of cover from feeling the pressure of having to respond as quickly as they tend to. 
That sounds wonderful. And it also, it gave them permission to just take a break and they heard it from you, which was so powerful for them. Yes. Yes. They needed, especially at that point when we got to April, um, we left school on March 12th. Um, and so by the time we got to the third week of April, they were truly exhausted. So teaching them how to create that boundary um, was actually just a help to them to, to learn how to stop for a little while. Okay, wow. So another easy thing that administrators can implement is, is really that. And that even, it sounds like those messages of setting boundaries can even be integrated in a daily update. So yes, um, part of the daily update was the directions for how to set up your away message was directly in the daily update. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. So this is a, this is a great structure that you set up. Um, do you feel like you'll keep this going? I think that I just realized as we were talking, one of the additional motivations for it was that rather than sending five or six or eight emails a day on top of the emails they, that teachers were getting from parents and students, mm -hmm. um, rather than that deluge of emails that, that was occurring to them, having the update allowed us to not only consolidate information, but also make sure that it was streamlined so that it wasn't too much. Um, email makes it real easy to put a few sentences and send it out and then, you know, two hours later do the same thing. Um, that was, in my opinion, counterproductive to people feeling like, hey, I can get through this. If you have 10 emails from your principal in your inbox, that's not helping. So part of the reason also for the updates was to to force us to consolidate and to force us to be streamlined. Mm, I'm glad you brought that up. Excellent point. One of the things that you say is that teachers should know their students, but also know themselves. And so what did this mean to you at Watertown High School? And how did you use something that we call the Connor Davidson Resilience Scale to get a better understanding of what the teachers were experiencing? So one of the guiding questions that we had at the start of the 2019-20 school year was not only knowing your students, but knowing yourself. And the first thing that we did in relation to that was in August or September 2019, we took something called the VIA Character Trait Survey, which is a free survey um, that has 24 different items and it gives people, anyone who takes a, a sense of what character traits they have that are the strongest in them and which ones are not so strong. So it's not about an absence of a character trait, it's just what you happen to evidence more than not. Mm -hmm. um, and so teachers had, no one had ever asked them that before. Um, very often our professional learning is about instructional strategies and assessments and, and rightly so, very student-centered and student-focused. Um, but our thinking was that if we begin with getting them to know themselves, then how does that transition to knowing your students better and what methods and what tools can you use to know your students better? As we got into March and then we left school, as I said, on March 12th, um, I was aware and thinking about this notion of resilience as it connected to self-efficacy. Um, that was another thing we had talked about as part of our school's theory of action. And so, I looked at, and um, one of the teachers here actually hooked me up with you, Julie, um, because of your work with resilience. Um, and that's where I found the Connor Davidson scale. So with a, actually a little bit of forethought, 
um, thinking about how we can measure where teachers stand, we uh, administered the survey to the teachers in the first week that we were out of school. So it was very, very early in the remote learning that we started to do. Um, and the purpose for that was to get a baseline of where people felt they were in terms of their sense of resilience. Um, we then readministered the survey, um, some of the questions of the survey in June at the end of the school year to see if there was any difference. Um, and indeed, teachers were able to point to the fact that they felt stronger in being able to tackle challenges or problems that were in front of them. Part of that, of course, was through their own efforts. So they learned technology, they had to teach online, they had to learn how to interact with students uh, via Google Meet, which most of them had never done before. Um, and so their sense of, of resilience and, as, and connected, their sense of self-advocacy grew. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that some of the practices that we, that we use, such as the daily updates um, and some of the other things I'll discuss as we go along, help them feel resilient as well. Okay, that is, and so I'm just thinking about all these new skills that teachers, and if you're a teacher listening, then you know what you've been doing. Um, part of this though, the self-efficacy piece is so important. The mindfulness piece um, is really important because I really think we need to be in the moment more now than ever. I agree. I think that what plagued us particularly in the beginning of distance learning was that people worried about not only the lesson for today and how am I going to execute that, but what's going to happen in two weeks and how am I ever going to give the tests that I'm used to giving and how are we going to do the project that I've done for so many years that I love now that I have kids on the screen. So part of our, our discussion, not only in the daily update, but in our faculty meetings and in our department chair meetings was, you know, how do we not worry about everything? And we began to talk about um, that circle of control. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful, Janet. So in all these wonderful things that you're talking about today that administrators can implement in their own schools, in your opinion, if you had to just say, what was the overall good that you feel that came from the teaching, learning, and leading in your building during the beginning phase of the pandemic and is still going on now? What are those residual uh, effects that are actually positive and wonderful and, and have made your school community better? So I would say that, as I mentioned before, that notion of self-efficacy, meaning that teachers felt that they were able to impact their students and also impact themselves. Um, so related to that is that people felt stronger in their practice. Mm -hmm. um, part of it was because they had no choice. Right. Um, and part of it was that they realized that they could figure it out for themselves, which is great. Um, and they saw that, that students, you know, we were lucky in that we had a, a high percentage of students logging in, students were engaged in the learning and, and teachers, that just reinforced the fact that they kept trying to get better at this remote learning that they had and teaching that they hadn't done before. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it reminds me too of, you know, you talk about, I think you mentioned a book that I was really interested in, Leadership and helping teachers believe in their capabilities and agency. 
Yes. So yeah, that's John Maxwell's leadership, um, which is a title that I highly recommend um, school leaders to, to take a look at um, because it really looks at how do I as a leader conduct myself in the organization? How do I model the practices that I want teachers to, to be using as well? And it is all about that agency and all about the advocacy. Another thing that we talked about, and to answer your original question about what good came from this, yeah, we had talked at the start of the year about collective efficacy. Um, and the researcher John Hattie says that collective efficacy, the belief in the teachers that as a group, they can impact student performance. Um, has the highest impact on student learning. So the largest effect size, if you look at a wide variety of instructional strategies or mindsets, the largest effect size is for collective efficacy. So that was something that we talked about starting at the start of the 1920 school year. So I would say that here we were in a period of essentially disruptive innovation. People learned what they were good at, and then we learned as a group that we can do this together. So that was a wonderful thing that came out of this. Um, as an aside, we also did things. We, of course, had our regular faculty meetings as part of our practice, um, but we also had some social gatherings that were virtual. So we had some teachers who played guitar. We would have a social gathering on Zoom. We would not talk about schoolwork. We would not talk about the pandemic. The um, colleagues played songs. We all listened, we all enjoyed. It was 25 minutes or 30 minutes of just pure relaxation and joy. Um, that was not about what am I gonna teach tomorrow? Um, and so we were also specific and intentional when we planned those social gatherings and also explaining their purpose. Sometimes you just have to hang around with everybody you know and listen to some music. And that sounds like heaven. It sounds like such a nice way to spend time with your colleagues when you can't be around them in person. I, could, I really can't think of a better way that you can really do something like that over Zoom. Um, so social gatherings, really key, love that. And did your faculty meetings shift at all because of any of what you, all these intentional practices? Well, I would say at the beginning, um, and actually now, even to a certain extent, there's that weird silence that happens when you have a large group on Zoom or Google Meet. So, you know, you tend to start the meeting and you're used to having the interaction with the teachers and the faculty. And now and then there was silence. Um, and so how do we, we had to shift a little bit and how do we overcome that initial silence? And, you know, every, we have 75 teachers, um, kind of everybody just staring at the screen, wondering, you know, what's gonna happen next? Um, and they experience that awkwardness themselves when they first began to teach on Google Meet. Um, and so, yes, we had to talk about, you know, how do we support each other here? How do we overcome this wall of silence? Um, and actually, the first step in that direction was showing people how to use the chat box. Mm. So in the first meeting, uh, the first faculty meeting, I went over the things that I had to talk to them about, but at the same time, they're using the chat box not only to greet one another, but to make comments on the presentation and to ask questions. So that was an interesting bridge to uh, further discussion, um, which was not as scary as, you know, unmuting your mic and talking for the first time. Yeah, really. But I'm just picturing the faculty meeting and thinking too that, you know, without facial expressions and body language, 
I mean, it's such a different experience, but it sounds like you even brainstormed some ways to make that better, which is good. So um, what about problem solving? So let's say an administrator has a problem in the building that you know might not be exactly like yours. It just seems like you're able to address and create solutions for issues that you might see in your building. And so what's the first step for that, would you say, for any like problem or issue that might come up? Like, what is your, do you have a method for that, Janet? Because it seems like you're so good at honing in on those areas and then brainstorming ways to solve the problem. I think it boils down to a few things. One of which is knowing your people. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not as if I know every single thing about every single person who works here, um, but you have to know kind of where they stand. You have to know the pulse of the place. Uh, in, in order to respond most effectively to what they need. Um, this was a school that had a lot of administrative turnover before I came. And so some of this work around stability and consistent communication came directly from their need for that, um, based upon the leadership turnover that had taken place for over the last seven years before I arrived. So um, that, was, that was helpful to them in, in terms of in terms of understanding, you know, well, she's not going to go away next year. She's not going to go away tomorrow. So knowing your people, um, also understanding, as I just said, their history. So where have they been? Um, interestingly, although we had a lot of administrative turnover here, there was not a lot of teacher turnover. Wow. And so they, they functioned um, as a group without a lot of leadership. And so they had to kind of figure things out for themselves, um, except nobody ever called that resilience or no one ever called that collective efficacy or self-efficacy. So I put language to a lot of what their experience had been and showed them how we expand that and how we get better at it by naming it and figuring out specific strategies and practices to help that. So know your people, know their history, know the context of the community um, is where I would say to start. Um, mm -hmm. also understanding what motivates people, you know, what makes them feel a sense of belonging to the organization. How do they know they're liked? Those things are, are the ways in to problem solving. And to me, everything you're naming is how to create a successful culture in your building, um, and building trust and, and safety. And it reminds me of a book that you had mentioned before the culture code. Yes, so that's Daniel Coyle's work. Um, and if there is one book about school culture that I think is not only most impactful for a school leader to read, but simply stated, but beautifully detailed, um, the culture code is, is the one that I would point to in terms of how do we establish this idea of what school culture means? Mm -hmm. How do we get people to buy into what we're trying to do here? Um, and specifically stating what those things are. Um, specifically about communication, specifically letting people know what you value and what you believe, letting them get to know you and you getting to know them. So all of those pieces um, coming together to create the school culture. Another piece that we looked at specifically that isn't necessarily in Coyle's work, but um, in the work of Tony Brake was the idea of relational trust. So in a school with leadership turnover, you can imagine that people's sense of trust was not high. Um, and so we specifically looked at the idea of how do we encourage and inspire relational trust in the school 
um, through the ways that we demonstrate our competence, through the ways that we demonstrate our commitment to whatever we're working on. Um, and those were two of the main ways that we began to build trust with the teachers and the staff here um, so that they would feel more secure in their work. Wow, you have so many uh, wonderful ideas for administrators to really, and there's so many ways that they can get started, but if, if there is someone listening right now that wants to try, try this something, just you have so many that are going on at once and you've created this beautiful culture and you've, you've built trust and safety and shared vulnerability, um, you've established a purpose. So where can they start? Like what would be, I know we started by talking about, I thought a good place might be um, starting with the daily updates, but now I'm not sure after um, listening to all your good ideas, what do you, where do you think an administrator should start in all of this if they're not sure? I think that starting the very first place to start, you were right in starting with the update, starting with consistent communication is the place to begin. Okay. There's no question about that. Um, there's nothing wrong with over communication as long as you're not sending 10 emails a day. Um, so how do you be, how are you effective in your communication and how does the communication create impact um, based upon what you're saying to, to the people. But all, that also goes with knowing your people and knowing what they need to understand and what they're going to respond to best. But I would say easily communication um, consistently and clearly with the people is the place to start. On the other hand, so that's kind of the in the weeds, right? The communication, because that's a daily or once a week, or it doesn't have to be every day. Every day is very, very taxing. Um, you know, if you look at the examples I used before from Twitter, um, both Lynn Manuel Miranda and Maggie Smith no longer do it every day, putting up their updates and their um, inspiration because it's hard. It's, um, it's difficult, but to me, it was worth it because it gave teachers somewhere to look. So um, I'm never going to say that it was a simple project, um, but it was, it was necessary and it gave, it, it truly was the anchor to us moving forward. But what I'm thinking, Jana, is now that it's established, now that you have the daily update established, it is a wonderful way to just give a more um, concise communication, just that one email, sending it out. Maybe it organizes you to do that. So I can see a lot of benefits. Yes. I, I didn't even finish my own thought. Um, so oh. that, that's the very <laughs> practical side, like the communication. Yeah. However, we also have a theory of action related to culture. So theory of action, as everyone knows, is a hypothesis that we have about the way that we're going to create a school culture. Um, and so in essence, what our theory of action is, is that if employees are authentically engaged, then they will work harder to authentically engage students. And so um, certainly anyone who's listening can reach out to me and I'm happy to share the whole theory of action with you. It's we actually have it in a diagram now. Um, and I'd be thrilled to explain it to anyone and all the parts and how it might fit in with your school. Um, because we found that it's not only the practical pieces like the communication and the faculty meetings and having social gatherings and, um, you know, showing people works of art, but it's also kind of the 50,000 foot view of what are we really trying to accomplish here and what is our hypothesis about the way that that should happen. 
and that is that would be you know a step for an administrator to well most administrators probably do have a theory of action but i just feel like yours is so aligned to everything you're talking about now and it's so authentic um it's there's no agenda really going on with it it's really to support the teachers and to support the school community which is so beautiful yes so that theory of action was not mandated as part of our administrator evaluation plan okay. or anything we were um when i began here i knew that we needed grounding and we needed a foundation um particularly in knowing the school and the in the amount of turnover and the people's um lack of trust in in the principal um the the principalship so we began with creating a theory of action um grounded in research and that's where kind of the center of our decisions lies Wow. Okay. Thank you so much. And I know that you never mind if someone reaches out to you. So would you like to give your email address right now so that everyone can hear it? Sure. So it's P-A-R-L-A-T-O-J-A at watertownps.org. Or you can just Google Watertown High School and there's the place to email me there. Um, and truly, free of charge, come along and ask any questions you like. Um, I'm happy to talk about the work and I'd actually love to help other administrators think about that notion of school culture um, and how we can improve it, especially at this time when it's so challenging for all of us. The, the way I look at it is if not now, when? <laughs> right, right. This is definitely the time. Well, I'm gonna have, uh, there'll be show notes. So please, if you're listening to this, just look below at the show notes and everything that Janet has talked about uh, besides her theory of action, which you can really reach out to Janet if you'd like to take a look at that. But all the other resources and ideas are in the show notes. And so Janet, I can't thank you enough for having this conversation with me because I feel it is so transformational and a, and a pivotal conversation for administrators to really start taking on this work um, that I feel like the, the pandemic really got this rolling because we've always needed this, but we need it now more than ever, like we've been saying. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed my first podcast and I look forward to hearing from anyone who'd like to know more. Sounds great. Thank you. Take good care. Thank you. Educators, if you'd like to receive some monthly inspiration in your inbox, you can sign up right on teachertlc.com. The link is below in the show notes. I also have the 2020 holiday checklist for teachers available, giving you ideas of how to find more peace and ease in your days from Thanksgiving to New Year's. So until next time, this is Julie Sohacki. Take good care.